Thanks for subscribing to the ZonCon podcast, the podcast all about Amazon conversations. These are the tips and tricks to become an Amazon millionaire. Here is your host, Andrew Erickson. He is all things Amazon, and so is this podcast. Let's have an Amazon conversation. Hey guys, welcome back to the Zoncom Podcast. This is Andrew Erickson as always. I am very excited to be here with Chelsea Cohen. Chelsea Cohen is one of my really good friends that I see at all these different events all across the world. Super excited to have her finally on the podcast. Chelsea's big thing now that she is known for in the industry is being the co-founder of SoStock. SoStock.com is a website that does Amazon inventory management. This thing is a killer tool. If you have ever struggled with inventory management, which yes, you have. If you're an Amazon seller, yes, you have struggled with that. So you are not an Amazon seller unless you have known those struggles of inventory management. This is the best tool that I've actually personally used that uh, really gives you a good grip and a good grasp of that inventory management. Chelsea, I know also used to do copywriting or maybe you still do copywriting. Chelsea, thank you so much for being here. Super excited to have you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I know we go way back to like, uh, what was it, Orlando with one of those first Titan events. And um, yep. yeah, yeah, that was fantastic. I think we had dinner together and that's where we first connected. Yeah, for sure. Hey, did you ever go to China Magic? I did. I, I'm trying to remember which year. I think it was like 20, I want to say like 2016 or 2017, one of those times. Maybe not we saw sure. each other there too. I'm not sure, Possibly. but I did speak on copywriting there, and that was just before I started my copywriting agency. Which, yes, I do still still have that that agency running as well. Nice, and that's uh, what is that like? Badass copyright or something? Badass business builders. I'm currently working on a rebrand. We're building a website uh, and rebranding as Catapult Conversion. So that should be coming out in the next couple months or so. Nice. I love it. Chelsea is obviously a serial entrepreneur, and that is something that we are very excited about in the space because we most of the myself and also most of the people who listen are also serial entrepreneurs. So you are in good company, Chelsea. So mm -hmm. I want to bring you on today to talk about some inventory stuff. Like mm -hmm. I said, everyone struggles with it. It's so hard. Inventory is so expensive. Over ordering, it, it ties up too much cash and under ordering, of course, we end up losing we go end up going out of stock and we end up not being able to make any sales right which is actually worse in my opinion than being overstocked so yeah. chelsea just uh i'm gonna have I, i'm excited to have her here to talk about inventory management so chelsea you yeah. why don't you give us a little before we jump into like the uh, inventory stuff why don't you kind of give us a little bit of your entrepreneurial journey like how did you get into this uh this amazon space sure um so I've always wanted to, to own my own business. And in 2014, I got into a multi-level marketing company and um, was going around, you know, I, was, I swore off multi-level and then somehow got roped into it. So I was talking to a bunch of friends of mine, trying to get them to sign up for my deal. And they all kept saying, well, that's great, but we are going to be putting all our money into this thing called the amazing selling machine. And, you know, it's this thing where it teaches you how to sell products on Amazon. So we started kind of digging into that. We thought, well, this sounds much cooler than what we're doing. Um, and that's how we kind of got started. We signed up for Amazing Selling Machine, made our first sale uh, in July of 2014. And that was kind of the start of our journey. Really, after that kind of started to inadvertently become trainers because we had friends that wanted to, to sign up. 
They saw we were successful, kept asking questions. And that was kind of how Badass Business Builders actually got started was answering questions. We kept answering the same questions over and over again. We started just making videos and saying, here, go to this website, you know, sign up for this free membership and watch these videos. And that was kind of, you know, the start of, of kind of transitioning from, you know, just being sellers to being kind of, I guess, I don't know if you would call it influencers or whatever it was, just we had this kind of small following of, of friends who were trying to get get into the space. Nice. I love it. I love it. So you, so do you still sell on Amazon or, or mm-hmm. just... Yeah. Yep. Nice. Yep. I, it, it's, it, it's important for, you know, various different aspects besides just s- selling, but also, you know, to be able to continue to experience the pain that other people experience in, uh, in the inventory space. Like, when I do experience problems in inventory, you know, we'll be sitting there, I'll be talking with Ari and you know, we'll be really frustrated with the situation in inventory. And I'll just be like, you know what, this is good because now, and I'll have all these ideas for future, you know, features that we need to build out, future training and all of that. So it, it gives me a lot to be in the trenches and uh, dealing with all of those challenges ourselves. Nice. Yeah. You know, uh, scratching your, your own itch is one of the best ways to figure out how to create a product. So uh, it sounds like, yes, you do have lots of experience with that a really annoying inventory management problem that we all have. So yeah. it, you kind of told me that you have a few few killer tips for us. And I want to hear some of those things. You mentioned uh, inventory minded marketing. I was like, oh, what is that? And then you started, you started explaining it to me. I was like, no, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Just yeah. tell me on the podcast. I want to hear it. What is the What is this inventory minded marketing? Yeah. Um, so that's a term that I actually coined just working with sellers. When we first created So Stocked, I worked with sellers to get them onboarded onto the software. For the first year and a half, I was the only one doing that. So uh, by, between my partner and myself, we were the only ones talking to to cut, to uh, to users and developing the software as we go, um, improving it. And I this thing kept coming up of people marketing themselves into stockouts. We're talking about, you know, all across the board, we even experienced eight figure sellers who were marketing themselves into stockouts because they weren't vetting their inventory against their marketing plans. You know, you go to an event, you find this really, you know, amazing tip, and then you try it increases your conversion or your traffic or whatever it does. And then all of a sudden you're stocking out because you hadn't factored the inventory burn rate into that equation. So um, inventory-minded marketing was a term that I coined to communicate the idea that these two teams need to work together. And there's, there's a couple of different ways that that actually needs to happen. You know, first and foremost being that the marketing team needs to communicate their plans to the inventory team, right? So that's kind of the first the first impetus of how inventory-minded marketing started. Of course, it has evolved since restock limits um, to become more refined as well. Yeah, that's one thing I found frustrating is that when people tell me, oh, well, let's do some lightning deals. Oh, cool. Let's do some big promos. Let's do some big like giveaways and stuff. And I'm like, uh, the stock limits, though, are like, they're so restricting that I'm just like, I just am trying to get stocked in that will just sell without promotions right now like this this like i don't know so yeah yeah one thing one thing i noticed actually and maybe you probably noticed you probably noticed more than i do but i noticed this last week we're we're recording the first part of february right now this last week which is so the this kind of first first week last week the last week of january first week of february um the limits went up dramatically yeah yeah they they definitely have and amazon has said that they want to get rid of it i don't see that happening this year fully um, and I don't know if I actually will see that, you know, believe that that would happen 
at all. I just, you know, it's kind of like income tax. Once they, they instituted income tax, you know, when they repealed prohibition and got back the alcohol tax, they weren't so keen to get rid of the income tax. It was just like, you know, it's, it's too much of a draw for them to be able to control the flow of things in, in that way. So I don't think they'll get rid of it, but um, they have been building a lot of additional warehouses. So I think that's part of it. And also not just not, you know, kind of being on the other side of the Christmas rush. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it's kind of interesting when when because, you know, I talked to a lot of people who are new in the industry and people have been here for a long time. And I'm I guess I'm now because I've been in the industry for six, seven years, I guess I'm considered like a senior citizen now <laughs> in the industry, like six yeah. years makes you like ancient, I guess. But uh, man, I'm just thinking, like, what did it used to be like when I first started? My first product was oversized. So it's over 18 inches. And it was uh, I had a 500 unit limit. Wow. And yeah, and it was super frustrating because like I I didn't have a 3PL. I didn't have uh, I live in a tiny, tiny condo in downtown San Diego. Now I live in the suburbs, I have a bit much bigger house in the suburbs. But like the but the the tiny condo, I can't hold inventory there. And so I had to just like call some self storage places and just like find a place. I had the I had this like big truck delivered like a bunch of stuff at the self storage place. And I just put in the self storage and then I would go in every week because I didn't I didn't I don't know if they had three PLs. I'm sure they had three PLs back then, but I didn't know about three PLs. Yeah. And so I had it. I wasn't an ASM. So I just like was just alone. And so I I, I had all the stuff in self storage and then I would go in on the weekend or on, on my lunch break and I would go and get like 200 units out every week and then like bring them to the ups store and hand them off and they're all kind of dirty because it's a warehouse and so i'd like change out of my business casual clothes and put on like workout clothes move all the stuff out and then like send it to the post office and stuff and like it was a pain right and now now i think that anytime i complain about oh my god my storage limit is six thousand units really amazon ah come on i think that yeah. i'm like man it used to be 500 and i used to have to like pick it up myself and it's much better now you know, and I think it's because you were an overstock because we never had any store restrictions. One time, one Christmas, we had some some sort of a limit and we actually had to get right in to get them to increase the limit. Um, but that was the only time that we ever had any problem in, you know, the, the six years that I've been doing this up into 2020. And then, of course, 2020, you know, everything changed. So I, there were limits, but it was, a I think a lot of it had to do with oversize as well as um, IPI score limits, like the storage, the so storage volume limits and yeah, restock limits weren't really a huge thing for a lot of sellers. So that's why you've got a lot of sellers who we're not used to this. We're not used to, it's kind of like, you know, a parent letting you do anything you want and all of a sudden being like, you know what, here are some ground rules. And you're like, what are you talking about? Like I've been going out and partying, you know, to 2am. It's like that type of a spoiled mentality that we've had. Where they we haven't had to face inventory management. It's just send it in. If it sells, it sells. If it doesn't, it doesn't. We, you know, we're making enough money with enough margin that it doesn't really hurt us when we get these long-term storage fees with a you know a couple of these you know products that didn't end up working out. Nowadays there's no more margin to hide in. Yeah, that's a very good point. No more margin to hide in. I like that. That's a good point. And I know like a long time ago, right? That was kind of a little bit before my time is that Amazon used to have like long-term storage where you could kind of like move your stuff into like one year long storage bins 
Oh my God, that would be amazing if we could have that now. Now our storage, our storage zones are like five weeks. Amazon used to let us have like over a year if you were standard size, that is. There are other programs, there are programs that they're beta testing right now, um, upstream storage. You have to send a full container. It has to come from China. You have to do it through Amazon Logistics, but they will essentially, they'll take it in a, a container, they'll store it off site, and then um, they'll send it into FBA and you'll be able to see that all on your global inventory dashboard. So those are new, new services. You are putting all of your, you know, your faith in Amazon that they'll be able to manage things for you. But um, we've got a couple of members of SoStock who are trying it out and they basically reached out to us because they didn't know how it was going to show up and if we were going to have to make advancements. Luckily, um, they were able to to just basically build it as an additional third-party warehouse and keep it recorded so we didn't have to make any any tweaks to the system to be able to accommodate. But it's definitely something that's coming up and we've got guinea pigs who are testing it out, seeing if it's something viable before going out and telling people to, you know, to invest their, their time and money in it. That's a hot tip. I like that. I did not know yeah. about that. How do we how do we get into that program? Yeah, I think it's called STAR. I don't remember what STAR, Star. stands for, but you also can look up upstream storage. Yeah, it's it's definitely an upcoming product. I think we have probably mentioned it in our, we have Amazon news. If you go to sostock.com forward slash news and search for, you know, upstream or something like that, you should be able to find it. We, we do weekly news announcements and uh, I think we wrote something up about it. Nice. That's great. I love that. Yeah. Check that out on SoSox website, upstream storage. Um, that's with Amazon global logistics, AGL. So mm-hmm. interesting. We'll make sure to put a, a link in the show notes um, for the audience. So uh, oh, that's, that's awesome. That's there you go. That's a nice hot tip right there. So yeah. I know. Uh, so the thing that's so frustrating, again, like kind of thinking back historically. So I did have the 500 unit um, oversized limit. Right. Yep. And then we had the one year storage. I remember I remember s- seven years ago, whatever, when people were complaining that Amazon kind of got rid of the one year storage limits. Yeah, I don't remember that. So it must have been very, yeah, like maybe towards the, the beginning of 2014 or just I was so new that I wasn't paying attention to all of that stuff. I didn't have one year storage back then. <laughs> yeah, and people were complaining about it. They're like, oh, I can't believe it. Now I have to order like I can only order eight months at a time. Yeah. And, and yeah. yeah, and so so that was back then. That was horrible turnover. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, So that was back then. Right. And then we kind of went into uh, uh, the IPI thing happened two or three years ago. That was the inventory performance index or something, whatever. It's just some score they give you. And it's basically based on sell through rate and the volume of your product and blah, blah, blah. We got hit with that pretty hard two years ago Uh as well. So they basically restrict you to only having the it's complicated how the whole system works, but basically they restricted about six weeks worth of inventory at Amazon. So we've yeah. been we've been playing with that for the last like two, three years, that kind of like living in that stupid space of like only having a month-ish of yeah. inventory there. And then and then that changed and that went to ASIN limits and then that went to storage uh, account limits and now they're getting rid of the account yeah. limits, but they're gonna saw the IPI and blah, 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 blah. All these things, super, all these things constantly moving and they don't, they give you, they give you like, yeah. you know, it's like seven days notice. So can you tell me, I know you mentioned before about being flexible. Yeah. What, what's your advice on like how to deal with this like volatility in the storage market? Yeah. Um, well, there are a couple of things. There's flexible logistics and there's also, um, you know, in terms of the inventory mine and marketing, uh, the flip side of that, which which really developed with the restock limits. Um, 
you know, I used to talk a lot about inventory-minded marketing and putting all the responsibility on marketing. You need to tell inventory what you're doing. And then it became, you know what? Inventory is also responsible and inventory can't be, you know, kind of sitting back and being reactionary. And inventory has been very reactionary in the past, um, you know, in that, oh, well, look, we're running out of stock. Shoot, we should do something about it. But essentially what one of the things developed was there need to be four different reports that inventory sends to marketing, at least these four, four reports, these are the four main reports. One would be the stock out risk report, right? So inventory should know when, when that, you know, drop dead date is when am I actually going to stock out? And if sales ramp up, they need to be able to spot that. So a report should weekly or monthly, depending on how quickly your business is moving, but more likely weekly, send a stock out risk report to marketing so that marketing can see, you know, if they've got an ASIN on their promo list that they're about to push heavily on, but it's on the stock out risk report, that's a problem. They need to start pulling back and see if they can stop that from happening. So that would be something where you would see it. Is there a stock out? How many days of stock out? What's the date of the stock out? And that way, marketing can try to reevaluate if they're able to help to avoid that stock out without tanking the, uh, the page ranking very, very easily. So that would be like the first, the first report. Second would be a slow sellers report. Slow sellers report would be like a range. It would be a range like, you know, on the lower end, um, so let's say between five and 20 units, you know, if it's selling between five and 20 units for some businesses, maybe that's considered a slow seller. It's not one of those like dead products, but it's a slow seller. And it's one of these where marketing needs to look at that and take that very seriously, because if it's a slow seller, it, it could become a liability. Um, one of the things I like to talk about is that inventory can be an asset or a liability, right? And it's, it's often, it's on our books as, you know, on our, on our balance sheet as an asset, but it becomes a liability when it costs us more than it's going to make us in, in its life, life cycle. Um, that side of liability, it's also keeping our capital tied up. So that's a, another liability. And then it's potentially taking space and gathering fees. Um, and that's a liability. So if it's harming your restock limits and it's harming your ability to send best sellers in, you need to have a strategy for moving that, those slow sellers and moving them either um, into either moving them out or moving them into a viable range. And uh, using that, the, the other aspect of you have this inventory, it could be an asset because you can use it to increase your restock limits. When we had ASIN type, that was not possible. And so, you know, as much as people bitched about storage type because their, their storage limits went down so far and it also tied everything up with all of their slow sellers, um, it becomes, you know, this thing of understanding that that excess inventory is a tool that you can use. You know, even if you're losing on, on it, like if you ask any, you know, any top seller, if you could buy more restock limits, would you? They would all raise their hands. Yeah, how much? How much would be the immediate response? How much do you need? How much would we get? Um, to flip your mindset into realizing that you can buy restock limits simply by moving those slow sellers. You know, decide to run a, a marketing campaign and your marketing team needs to think like that. Let's run a marketing campaign to move this inventory so that we can increase our restock limits and get some of that cash back. Um, so that would be the slow sellers report. Liquidation would be the same, only it would be those dead or dying products. And it's just, let's get rid of it. 
Let's not necessarily liquidate it, meaning pull it from Amazon. Let's figure out how to burn through it so that it actually helps us with restock limits, increasing restock limits. Unless it's an emergency and we can't get our best sellers in and we're about to stock out, then maybe you would pull that inventory. And then, of course, the last one would be your overstock report. What inventory, even of my best sellers, do I have over 60 days or over 90 days of inventory? That also is an asset that you can use to boost your restock limits and to boost your page rankings um, to make a more viable uh, product with increased sales velocity. So that's or kind of the, you know, in terms of the full, full panorama of the game plan and how exactly inventory and marketing need to be working together. That's kind of the first objective um, from a, a restock limits perspective. Nice. I love that. So basically, uh, look at your marketing, look at your slow sellers, look at your liquidation, look at your overstock. Yeah. So really, I mean, if anything, it's kind of like marketing and your slow move. I mean, if you want to put those last three kind of in one big category of like just the slow, the slow pokes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like the marketing, the great stuff and getting rid of the slow pokes. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and seeing what, you know, what overstock you have that you can use to kind of push, push those limits uh, as well. Because we, you know, we need to start looking at the fact, I mean, every, every month that you have inventory, it's your margins are shrinking because of your storage, your monthly storage fees. So kind of looking at inventory um, as a tool, you know, and as a marketing tool. And I think that's the shift that a lot of marketers need to start making, especially as restock limits continue to be a problem for some people. Yeah, you know, it's interesting storage fees. So I, two years ago, we got a bill or we we got a whatever charge um for our storage our our margins were pretty good Uh and then we got our storage and it didn't kill our margins by any means but it it was it was a very large bill that we paid eighty seven thousand dollars wow um sixty five thousand dollars of those were during q4 or 60 60 some well whatever it's basically it was 80 something and we paid 60 high 60s low 70s in just in q4 yeah Oh my god! I was like, oh my god! I I was not budgeting an eighty thousand dollar or sixty thousand um, dollar storage fee, so yeah. they could really get you. Mm-hmm. But but here's one thing I always tell people: like, remember. So our product, just to give kind of perspective, of what we were selling, it was a uh, it was you know it's a bulkier bulkier item. It was a uh, eighteen inch or well, just under a seventeen inch box by eight by whatever, right? So it's kind of bulky. Like so just think think a large shoe box. Uh-huh. Right, that's kind of the volume of the product, right? Yeah, and we're selling it for thirty-five dollars. We had ten-dollar margins, and so you know we would make ten dollars on every sale. Our storage cost in non-Q4 was like twenty cents, and during Q4 it was roughly a dollar, or it's like eighty cents, or something like that. And yeah. so, of course, part of me sees that bill of like eighty thousand dollars. I'm like, oh my god! All right, no, we're not storing anything ever. We're never storing anything. Nope. And then, but I was like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> We have to store some inventory, right? So um, I kind of started thinking like, okay, well, so really, actually, if I lose a sale, I lose $10. My, my opportunity, what's that cost? That's the opportunity cost. The opportunity cost of a sale, of a lost sale is $10. Mm-hmm. The cost of overstock by a month, let's say I have a month overstock, that would cost me between 20 cents and 80 cents, right? Kind of depending on what season we're in, right? Q4, right. non-Q4. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, I should over, I should lean towards overstock mm-hmm. like 10 times or 40 times right if i'm mm-hmm. if i'm let's just let's just average and say it's like 40 cents right versus 10 dollar yeah. margins what is that like a 20 25x multiple 
Like yeah. I should lean towards overstock 25 times more lean yeah. towards overstock versus understock. Yeah. Is that reasoning yeah. correct? Or am I like, maybe am I missing something? Yeah. Because it's kind of like, it's, you know, when you're talking about this, I, I think of, listen to a talk from this guy, Garrett Gunderson, who's, you know, this, he has this company called the wealth factory and he talks the same way about taxes. If you're worried about paying a lot of taxes, you know, you shouldn't be like restricting, Oh, I don't want to take on the money and all that. You should be making another dollar. You should be making more money. So, you know, it's, you're going to pay because you may, you know, it's the same type of thing. You, if you spent a lot, I mean, it's not always the case. If you're not selling and you're paying a bunch in storage fees, then that's a problem. But if you are trying to restrict and, and potentially are going to stock out, you know, the the payoff of making that sale is far higher than the money that you're going to spend, you know, to actually get there. So, yeah. I mean, of course, if you can improve the sell through in a way that's not going to, you know, you always have to weigh weigh the cost. And I like to run different scenarios. Like, well, what if I, you know, held back inventory and I sent inventory in once a month? Um, you know, what what would happen then? And how much would it cost me then to send like maybe small parcel delivery, maybe, you know, LTL, what's going to be the most cost effective? And that's one of the things that I'm obsessed with. And that, you know, is the, the next direction that we're going to be headed with the software is like, no one is running these scenarios. You know, no one is sitting there and actually calculating out does it make more sense to buy, you know, six months of inventory for my supplier at a 5% discount? Or am I going to pay 7% additional, you know, in terms of storage fees? Like no one's running these scenarios. And when you start running these scenarios, it really becomes insightful. It can be very eye-opening. So sometimes it, it just makes sense to take the time to sit down and run those scenarios. Can I tell you what we do? Mm. So we have this big order spreadsheet that we we look at the next 15 months. So and the reason why I do 15 months is because I update every quarter. So I always want to have a one-year plan. Yeah. And so every quarter, of course, it kind of expires. So I always want to have a one-year plan. So we plan out 15 months. Mm -hmm. We look at all those orders. We try to optimize. This is at least the brand I sold. Now we're a little bit smaller, so we don't have to do this as much. But this is uh -huh. uh, two years ago. This is before So Stocked. Now we use So Stocked to do this. But before that, we, we were doing about a container every five-ish weeks, a uh 40-foot -huh. uh, container. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. we would do a full... I had the big spreadsheet would estimate the storage cost, the production cost, the freight cost. I had a little equation that like did the mm -hmm. freight cost for me. Yeah. And then we would then export that out into like a cash flow manager. That's also just a spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. And we would do a full, big, beautiful analysis to figure out how much we need to order and then how much that would cost when that yeah. money would hit our bank account and then kind of manage the whole thing. It took forever to yeah. build that out and it yeah. was really fragile and kind of shitty honestly and like i have an applied math degree so that's like what i do i like yeah. model things and like yeah. it's still so hard to do <laughs> that's yeah. it's, it's a lot it's a lot we're actually we're actually going to be releasing um I, I wanted to build a carton calculator and and that's kind of one of the other topics i wanted to touch on is like it, i call it profit optimization across the supply chain and this is something I've always been thinking about, like how can we fit more units in a container on a pallet and all of that. Carton is one of those things that I think was overlooked, especially because um, at least for you know who I was working with, there weren't these carton weight minimums that have now come into uh, freight forwarding. And um, we went to ship some some inventory, and our cartons were seven point seven kilograms. And we were told, well, there's a new minimum now. There's a 
a, a 12 kilogram minimum. And so every carton is going to be charged at a minimum of 12, no matter what, how, how much it weighs. So we were at 7.7. So we had a, a lot of additional fees that were coming our way. And I, and that was when I realized, well, we need to know what the optimum, the optimum number of units per carton is and the optimum number of um, the optimum size. Like what are, what are Amazon's requirements? What are our freight forwarders requirements? What's the U.S. customs requirement? Fit all those in, find the perfect. Um, we want to fit as many units per carton, unless it's a slow seller. If it's a slow seller, you want let, you know, you don't want more than say two months worth of inventory. Um, cause if you're selling half a unit a day, then, you know, and you have 150 units, that's going to be a problem. I can tell you the answer. Yeah. I know the answer is you what? have three restrictions on cartons. You have, yeah. you can only put in 150 units in a yep. carton. Uh-huh. Uh, you have 50 pound limit, which includes the, the yep. packaging. That is a, that is both a Amazon and a U.S. um, whatever the OSHA OSHA requirement actually can't package over 50 pounds unless yeah. it's a team team lift yeah. and the limits are 25 inches on the sides yeah. Of, yeah. of every side. And so what we do is we say, we look at the weight and usually, usually the weight gives us the, the limit. Um, but if it's not, then we, we just take 25. We always give an inch. So we say 24, how many units can yeah. we ship? Assuming the 24 by 24, we just divide in how many packages we can get in there. Uh-huh. And then if the that gives us the volume restriction and then the weight yeah. restriction would be 100, we say 48 pounds, right? Uh-huh. So for, just give us two extra pounds. So 48 pounds divided by the way of the product. And that usually gives us a number. And then so we'll get something like 33 and a half units can go in. Well, that's stupid. We can't get 33 and a half, right? So yeah. then we'll do 32, which would be like two by four by four would yeah. give you 32. That's yeah. how we do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And And you said something very important, which was, you know, 25 is the minimum or is the maximum, but that's going to shoot you in the foot, like majorly. That's a huge problem. Going to 24 makes all the difference. You know why? Because pallets are 40 by 48. So if you do a, a, a 25 inch carton, you can't fit two in that 48 space. You're screwed. So when we were building out our calculator, and it will be coming out um, hopefully later this this month, uh, which is February, that we built the, cal- the the calculator to build the perfect carton based on those requirements. And then I realized that's not the end goal. The end goal is to fit it on to fit the most units per pallet. So we built out pallet. We reverse engineer. We took let's let's know we know what your unit size is and we know what your pallet size is. So between those two, we need to figure out what the perfect size and configuration is for your cartons, and so that we can maximize you know get as close to a hundred percent storage volume utilization on your pallet. And so I think there were sixty four per per configuration, and I think there were six configurations and sixty four iterations of that that I built out in a spreadsheet and sent to our development team. And you have to figure out what is the perfect, what is the perfect, you know, calculation. So that, that being said, like you, it's, it's all part of the same conversation. And, you know, we've got, you know, on palette, which is a free tool that helps you to optimize your palette based on your current carton, but we don't have any tool currently until we launch this thing to calculate what is the best carton configuration to fit as many units per, per carton and to optimize your your cartons because they have to weigh enough and they have to not weigh too much. And you have to fit as many units per carton because you have per carton fees. 
So you want as many uh, units to be utilized to disperse those fees over as many units as possible. So like, these oh. are the things that I geek out on that like yes. <laughs> I get upset. Yes, with. I love it. I yeah. love it. Now, anybody who's listening to us and is like, oh my God, these guys are such complete nerds. I, yeah. I totally, totally uh, phased out when they were ta- when they started talking about the dividing, optimizing the, pr- the per product, whatever thing. Like, that's yeah. okay. Please come that's, back. Yeah. That's <laughs> Listen back to cool. us. This is why Chelsea made the tool for us. This is why she made the calculator. Cause like it take, you know, the nerds like us talk about how having to spend, you know, four hours geeking out four hours on a spreadsheet, but you can just go in and push that button. Maybe not yet, but I guess by the end of Feb, we'll have, uh, we'll be able to push that button, ignore all the mass shit and just like get the answer and move on. So yes, Chelsea, that's fantastic. I love it. And I talk about these things and people just like, it's not exciting (laughs) to people, you know, I like to say, I talk about the boring stuff, you know, but I I tried, I'm passionate about the boring stuff and people get a lot more passionate about the boring stuff when they start seeing, you know, $50,000 immediately added to their bottom line. This is the stuff that aggregators are doing. You know, I've had talks with, you know, with the guys at Elevate and some other places that they look for all of the things that you're not optimizing. And one of those things is, you know, can we get the package smaller? You know, we've got these new dimensional weight fees. Can we get the package smaller? How much is that going to save us per unit? The configuration that I did on this one product that I mentioned that kind of got me down this rabbit hole, I saved in just changing you know, with the weight fees and the carton, um, the carton pull fees and the carton labeling fees, I saved 68 cents per unit with just that alone. So it's, it can be major. And imagine that across your entire, you know, or some variation of that across your entire catalog. This is what aggregators are doing to immediately earn back equity. Nice. Yes, I love it. And, and you know, here's the thing, guys, is that like, again, there's a lot of like nerd shit we're talking about. But like a lot of these things are really easy to do. And the carton optimizer thing like that, I always tell people like it's super easy. Just do the, you know, use Chelsea's tool or just do the math yourself. And like it's not this isn't like a huge redesign. It isn't this $10,000 marketing campaign. It's not a $3,000 video thing. It's not a it's not these like big, crazy, complicated things. You just tell your supplier like, yo, you know how you're packing it like two by two by two. Like pack it four by four by four and I'm yeah. going to like 10 X or whatever that is. Eight, I guess eight, whatever, some number eight X or something. Yeah. Uh, my, my number of units and it's going to have my, co- it's going to have my costs for, yeah. for the carton stuff. And right. they don't, it doesn't like, it's actually cheaper for them because they have fewer cartons that they have to, that they have print. Right. And so yeah. like, it's cheaper for everyone. It's just more efficient. And so yeah. these are the things I love. Uh-huh. Chelsea, I want to, before I move into the the last, the three questions I'd like to ask all entrepreneurs, yeah. I also want to get your take on having to use FBM, Fulfilled by Merchant 3PL yeah. services. Yeah, I believe that it's, it's extremely important. I believe everyone needs to have an FBM uh, trigger that they can pull because we have seen that Amazon, we can't trust them to be our distribution center. Like if, even if it's our only sales channel, it should not be our only distribution channel. Um, We've seen when stockouts happen and FBM sales contribute to restock limits. So if you go out of stock because Amazon has not checked your stuff in and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting, which is a whole topic in and of itself, why that's happening. But if you're waiting for Amazon and they don't 
you know, check your stuff in, you need to have a way to make sales and to fulfill those sales. And so FBM is important for that reason. And also, like I said, those sales will keep your restock limits from tanking, even if you stock out at Amazon, because Amazon does count those sales. They also count, um, you know, any of your multi-channel fulfillment sales. So if you're running Shopify through Amazon, those add to your restock limits as well. So those are kind of some ways to additionally keep your restock limits maintained even within a stockout. Nice. I totally agree with that. And and in case you guys didn't know, I think a lot of people know this, but just want to make sure everyone knows that you can actually have an FBA and an FBM listing at the same time. And mm-hmm. you can make it so that the FBA listing will always be the one that people default to. And then once the FBA inventory goes out, it goes to FBM, Fulfilled by Merchant. Well, I, it's going to get complicated if I try to explain how to do it. But you just just know that, yes, it can happen. It's very easy. And if you don't know how to do it, you can just look on YouTube. Or uh, if you still don't still don't figure it out, go ahead and email me and I will tell you. I'll give you a little SOP on how to do it. So Chelsea, yes, I love it. Thank you so much for giving us all that great content, great, great information on how to do inventory management. Now I want to get into the fun part. I love talking to everybody, all the entrepreneurial people about mm-hmm. their a little bit of their entrepreneurial stuff. And we have the same three questions that we ask everybody. Uh, the big thing I love hearing from people, especially a pe- person like you who's a serial entrepreneur, has had multiple businesses ex- in multiple different spaces. Yeah. Why? Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> Why do you do it? Why not just get a, a day job and, and like work at a desk or whatever? Like, what's your drive behind building these businesses? Um, I, I, like, I like the journey of creating something, but most mostly and i think one of the reasons i gravitate towards you know having businesses that help entrepreneurs is that i love entrepreneurs i want entrepreneurs to succeed you know and i was i recognized in inventory something that i was struggling with and in asking my friends they were struggling with and so realizing how much margin was being lost there and there are a lot of businesses that can go you know, can go out of business because they don't have, you know, this operations side, right. And there are people who could be making a lot more money and having a lot more, a lot less stress and enjoying their lives a lot more if they could recover even 5% of their margins. So, you know, and many of these people are now my friends. So that's kind of the biggest motivation for me is knowing that when I, you know, when I educate, when I build these tools, um, when I help people, it's having that direct effect of putting money back in people's pockets. And when someone comes to me and says that they, you know, they cut their, their savings because they, you know, they didn't have to airship anymore. They were now doing, you know, shipping by ocean because they got their inventory, you know, sorted out. They are now making, you know, say an extra 60% in savings on their shipping costs. Like that's, that's major. So, you know, that's why I do what I do because I know that it has the, the feedback loop is really great and it has a direct impact on people's lives. Oh, I love that. I love that. What is one piece of media, a book, a podcast or something that you want to share with the audience? My favorite book is The One Thing. It goes against everything within my nature, which is to try to do everything <laughs> at once. And it, you know, tells you uh, what is the one thing, you know, you could do such that by doing it everything else would be easier or unnecessary. And that's what I always have to focus on whenever I feel like I'm, you know, because I create this list and I feel really bad when I don't get through these 
you know, impossible list, I have to remember, okay, if I did my one thing, then I'm moving closer to my goal. And half of these things wouldn't be on my list if I properly did the one thing. And it really forces you to not just to focus, but also to pull yourself out of your business so that you're building and focusing on processes and people, which is something that I tend to go, you know, well, forget it. I'm going to do it myself because I'm, you know, better at everything or whatever, (laughs) whatever the case is, it's, you're not going to grow and scale a business that way. Um, And so it's, it kind of helps you and forces you to, to move into the, the direction of being an actual, you know, business owner rather than, you know, someone who just works for yourself. I love that. Yeah. The one thing is one of my favorite books too. I love that motto. I used to have a whiteboard behind me. I, I upgraded to a f- cool uh, map of the world behind me now, but I used to have a whiteboard and I wrote on there, what's the one thing you can do that by doing, how, how's it by doing such yep. everything else becomes easier, unnecessary. Yeah, how does that exactly. go? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. One yeah. thing we could do that such that by doing it. Uh-huh. Nice. Yes, I love it. And, and, and exactly what you said, it hurts my soul to do that because I have like entrepreneurial ADD. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, I can totally do this. Oh, I can totally do that. I can do this. I can update this thing. I can, I can like update my packaging. I can do some new campaign or some new Facebook campaign, or I can like message this thing or whatever. And no, no. What, what is the one thing we can do that makes that makes everything easier? Yeah. And sometimes it's not your favorite thing. Like sometimes it's you know the thing that you don't want to do because oftentimes we end up continually doing. You know, it's called hobby horsing. You know, your favorite hobby horse, your favorite thing that you like to do, and it's not always the thing that is going to you know put the most money in your pocket or move you you know the furthest, the fastest. So that's that's another hard pill to swallow. That you know that equals growth. Productive procrastination. Yes. Productive procrastination yeah. is the worst kind of procrastination yeah. because like if you're just playing a video game or like staring at the wall or something and procrastinating that, you know, you're just procrastinating. But when you're being like, quote unquote, productive, uh-huh. I'm not procrastinating. I'm doing no, no, you're not doing the right thing. No, you're doing a bunch of filler time stuff. So, yeah, the one thing I love it. I love it. Great. Yeah. Chelsea, what is one actual thing that Amazon sellers can do today? Yeah, um, that they can do today. I mean. You know, you would like to say sign up for SoStock, which I do think people should do. I honestly think this year needs to be the year that people really focus on their inventory and also their profit optimization across the supply chain. I think the most important thing to do is to reassess your packaging from the ground up. So we're talking about, you know, how are you what are the, what's the size of your packaging? Can you get that smaller? You know, my, my friend Travis Ziegler talks about how he had, you know, these sunglasses and he took the case out of the sunglasses and decided to put it in one of those, you know, those smaller, like, you know, sleeve cases. And that reduced the size, it increased the amount that he could use, you know, send per carton. Um, so reassessing from the ground up, it also, with these dimensional fees, it could bump you back into the unit, um, unit fees. Uh, if people know about dimensional fees, if you don't go read about dimensional fees, but mm. it's, it, yeah, it's extremely important. I think that's where you're going to see the most bang for your buck. I think people can recover, you know, tens of thousands, even, you know, even over a hundred thousand dollars inside of their business simply by repackaging, um, you know, re recartoning, pa- optimizing your pallets and optimizing your containers. I think that's some place, place where people don't explore, um, which is why we're building out tools and, the tool that will come out, hopefully it's out by the time this podcast releases. But if you want to learn about that tool, sostock.com forward slash headlines, if you sign up there, we'll be announcing that tool. Uh, and that will be a quick way for you to be able to reassess your 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 pallets and your cartons. 
Perfect. Yes. I love it. Chelsea, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it. Go out, guys, yeah. go check out So Stocked and make sure you get a handle on your inventory. Thanks so much, Chelsea. Awesome. Thank you. Review from iTunes from Hello World. That's the name of the person. Hello World. Hi. Hi, Hello World. Motivating and no BS. Andrew has a unique ability to both motivate you and reassure you to start and grow your business. Very helpful. Thank you. Hello World. Thank you for that iTunes review. If you have not left an iTunes review, I would greatly appreciate it. Just go to iTunes, find the podcast, leave us a five star. If you want, you can leave a review. If you want, just hit those five stars. It really helps people find the podcast. Just like an Amazon product, iTunes also needs these product reviews too. 